You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margreta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic, affordability, is a key theme in this year's B.C. budget, but the province's largest projected deficit is raising some eyebrows. Plus, what we can learn about the limits of AI productivity from a Scottish Willy Wonka experience that went viral for all the wrong reasons this week. Margreta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, as always. I'm Karen. Great to be here. Now, the provincial government tabled its 2024-2025 budget last week with affordability pressures hitting B.C. households. It is no surprise to see a range of programs aimed at addressing the issue within the budget. What are you making of it? Well, it's entirely unsurprising. Uh, the polling should be clear on this. And, of course, we're headed into, we are in an election year right now for the for the provincial governments, so no surprise there, and uh, that was a big part of the messaging around the budget, uh, uh, you know, from the finance minister to the premier, uh, who spoke to a gathering of uh, folks in business last week on uh, Thursday. Uh, a couple of measures uh, that I think are definitely uh, uh, symptomatic of the overall approach to affordability uh, this cycle uh, include uh, an affordability rebate for electricity, uh, which comes out to unsurprisingly low amount of $100 a household per year. Uh, you know, not a huge uh, way to offset affordability challenges, um, but uh, it is an attempt. And uh, there's a few other measures. Uh, the provincial carbon tax increases every April 1st. Um, they're hoping this year the increase uh, will be uh, driven uh, in, in terms of, into a rebate uh, for BC families. Um, so that's an interesting measure as well. Uh, you know, not a, a return to the uh, much wanted principle of uh, revenue neutrality, uh, which was a big part of how the carbon tax in BC was first designed when it was brought in uh, by Gordon Campbell and the BC Liberals. Um, but it's an interesting thing to see. Um, so they're obviously very conscious of things that can be perceived as raising costs for BC households, uh, for businesses and uh, those that have been struggling under. Uh, you know, tax burdens. Um, there's uh, definitely been uh, some response. Uh, the premier actually said that uh, advocacy by uh, folks in the restaurant sector had a big role to play, uh, and he acknowledged the efforts of industry representatives in uh, driving the conversation and the policy decision to actually change the thresholds for the employer health tax contributions. You know, for small businesses, that can be a lot of uh, cost to pay, uh, and uh, of course, uh, a real challenge uh, when. Uh, Business is tough, and a lot of uh, restaurants in particular are facing some substantial challenges to their ability to uh, generate profits and stay in business so they can keep employing British Columbians. Uh, but my overall assessment is that, uh, you know, a, a range of, uh, you know, small incentives, give the, giveaways don't actually uh, counteract the fundamental affordability pressures that are facing families around the world. It's not just uh, here in B.C., it's not just in Canada. It's hitting everyone right now, and a lot of this is the result of economic disruption that uh, we experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic. And how has the response been to the projected deficit? Uh, yes, the deficit. Well, uh, let me put this, this number out there for you. $7.9 billion is projected for this budget year, and that is a record high. Uh, and of course, um, that's always a kicker. When you're talking about affordability and you're making a, a point as uh, uh, centrist and left-wing governments tend to do um, to support uh, households, um, there's always going to be uh, costs and spending more or continuing to spend at an identical level when revenues shrink is a surefire way to get into deficit. And with deficit usually comes borrowing. And that's borrowing um, if indeed the deficit is as projected that generations of taxpayers may be on the hook for. 
uh, we saw a similar theme emerge federally uh, during the pandemic. And there's actually kind of a, a justification um, that I'm seeing in two parts. Uh, the provincial government has been talking about uh, this angle, that to avoid a deficit of services at a time that British Columbians need those services, they are willing to incur a deficit on the books. Um, very, very similar to what uh, Premier uh, Justin Trudeau uh, said, that uh, the government was borrowing so that Canadian households didn't have to during the pandemic, um, you know, in the form of uh, supports uh, for workers, for students, uh, and, and many others. Um, and that's uh, definitely quite interesting. Uh, another angle to consider as well as to whether we really are headed for $7.9 billion, uh, in deficit, uh, you know, supported by, by borrowing, uh, is this idea that, according to the Premier, uh, British Columbia is typically quite conservative in its economic growth projections. Um, so uh, they tend to uh, outperform whatever the conservative projection is. Uh, that growth comes in higher than expected. As a result, uh, tax revenues to government are higher. Um, so there's definitely some hope that if the economy uh, grows a little bit quicker than expected and uh, the rate that they're projecting is quite a conservative one, um, then we might uh, see some of that deficit offset. Um, but I think fundamentally this does drive at this question of uh, how we afford the things that we need and we expect from government. Uh, economic growth uh, supported by highly productive uh, industries generates tax revenues. Um, there's been a lot of debate and discussion lately about uh, a suite of programs known as Clean BC, which aims to decarbonize the provincial economy rather rapidly, um, and whether that's actually going to, as is expected by a lot of economists, including those that did modeling for the province itself, um, it's expected to potentially affect the viability of highly productive industries that are net taxpayers uh, and net employers in a very sizable and important way. Um, so, so these are important pieces to consider, and I certainly hope that uh, the provincial government isn't accepting the uh, you know, inevitability of deficit as the only way to proceed, uh, but that efforts are being taken to drive private sector economic activity um, so that deficit can be avoided. Now, artificial intelligence has been a topic we've periodically discussed over the past year. What's the latest? Well, in uh, one part of the sector, uh, Google recently released its hotly awaited barred AI assistant. And they have plans to thoroughly integrate it throughout all Google products. Um, you know, that's definitely a boon for productivity uh, for those that have been using tools like ChatGPT. Uh, you know, a lot of learnings about uh, how we can massively help uh, and really advance productivity on certain dimensions. Um, but uh, there's also a lot of debate about uh, whether at the end of it uh, you're actually getting uh, good products that uh, fundamentally replace the quality and the, um, you know, highly... Um, uh, you know, informed subject matter expertise um, that human writers typically bring to, to issues. Writing, of course, is not the only space where uh, AI tools are starting to massively disrupt. Uh, we're seeing it in Hollywood. Uh, there's been some news that uh, major investment by Tyler Perry in a production studio in the U.S. was actually withdrawn uh, with the release of a new AI video generation tool. Um, but a topic that caught my attention uh, last week uh, was uh, Google came under some fire for apparently overcorrecting in its image generation tool for diversity limitations and training data. Uh, what this means in practice is that users requesting images of historical figures or historical professions that could reasonably be expected to have been old white men uh, got quite the opposite. Uh, for instance, users prompting for things like the founding fathers of America got images of very diverse characters, uh, men, women, uh, people of color in colonial attire. Uh, you know, it's, it's a well-intentioned move, uh, but hardly historically accurate. 
So we've uh, vowed to look at it to ensure that uh, it's an adequate representation of uh, the, the prompt. Um, but it does speak to some underlying governance challenges in AI. Uh, you know, representation, ensuring that the tools that society uses actually are representative of the, the people uh, in this world, the users of these technologies, the beneficiaries of these technologies, uh, is, a, is an important factor and uh, requires a lot of fine attention to get the right balance. Uh, but the story that really, really captured my attention and the attention of a lot of uh, AI watchers uh, on the Internet was a viral fiasco, a pop-up experience for families in Glasgow and an events company uh, called the House of Illuminati um, that boasts a largely AI-generated promotional presence online decided to cash in on the buzz surrounding the Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory brand. Uh, there was a recent movie, of course. But instead of uh, Timothy Chalamet in a gorgeous candy wonderland uh, to delight kids, which is a little bit of what was promised, uh, ticket buyers who paid £35 per ticket got a very shoddy experience in a rented industrial facility staffed with miserable-looking underpaid actors. I uh, guess allegedly got a measly quarter cup of lemonade and a single jelly bean per child at the end of it. So uh, I think they were banking on uh, making uh, quite a splash, quite a profit as well, uh, but it backfired. Uh, what went viral were a few especially grim photos of a sad-looking woman dressed as an Oompa Loompa uh, at some kind of candy counter surrounded by uh, wafts of smoke. Uh, images of an undersized banner print of some really nice AI-generated Candyland art, but uh, the banner was teeny tiny, put up on a massive wall, kind of poorly put up. And uh, there were some images of oversized candy props uh, haphazardly placed around, obviously, uh, a warehouse or industrial facility. So, yeah, pretty grim. The AI marketing materials weren't really reflected by the reality of the setup. And uh, the experience and disappointment that it uh, triggered, and apparently there were uh, armies of children in tears, uh, resulted in a near riot. So customers are going to be getting refunds, the organizer says. Uh, it's unclear whether all the actors will actually be paid. Um, but I think the, the lesson that this teaches is that AI tools for any purpose need to be used with care. Uh, and overall, no one should assume that uh, quality control is no longer needed. In fact, I would say it's needed much more than before. Mm-hmm, yeah, no, and if people haven't seen the images of this, you need to look it up. It is truly their version of Firefest. But all right, Margaret, where do you think the continued adoption of AI tools in business and work is headed at this point? Well, my, my initial assessment from um, you know many months and I think over a year ago now at this point that uh, these tools stand to completely change the nature of certain jobs, that still stands. Uh, we're very much on path to the huge uh, productivity enhancements uh, changes in workflow for anyone involved in a creative profession. It's happening right now. You know, I, I, I work in a creative uh, communication space, and uh, everyone that I look at is using AI tools in some form. Uh, but the reality of garbage in, garbage out also continues to prevail. So if, uh, you know, you're not prompting uh, your AI assistant with the, the right uh, set of instructions, you're not carefully scrutinizing the results that you get, you're not applying uh, logic and common sense, uh, to its output, and you're not, um, uh, well, you're assuming that uh, the AI assistant uh, is really an expert in complex subject matters, um, then you're likely to get into the space of actually having worse results uh, than better results uh, in your practice. So this is where developing uh, new ways of thinking about the adoption of these tools in work, in school, uh, in society is, is very important. 
um, there is going to be a need for more people who are proficient in these tools uh, to come into a variety of applications. All sectors of the economy are looking at this right now. Uh, but I think as it relates to consumers, um, anyone here who's listening, uh, you know, learn to spot AI-generated text. You're going to start seeing it pop up in online conversation a lot more. Uh, learn to understand what scams look like. There's lots of reports of now AI-generated voice scams that uh, are very sophisticated, you know, targeting everyone, not just uh, vulnerable seniors uh, who you know, are more likely to pick up the phone, more likely to respond to an appeal for help, uh, but everyone. Uh, you know, there's lots of stories of Canadians even uh, being targeted uh, by phone calls that sound like they're from a distressed family member but actually turn out to be a scammer halfway around the world that has somehow cloned their uh, family member's voice, gotten some particulars, and then not made away with a massive loot when successful. So all of this requires us as uh, people out there consuming information to be more educated, to understand uh, what these kinds of things look like. And I think it demands as well a policy response from governments on uh, ensuring that bad actors uh, can continue to operate uh, without scrutiny. But you'll see also more mediocre versions of this, just things that are aiming to get your money, uh, but you might not be getting what's promised. So if you know what AI art looks like, AI-generated uh, chat uh, bot uh, text looks like, you'll be better equipped to uh, fend off things that uh, could potentially exploit you and give you less than you were promised. Yeah, what a time to be alive, Margareta. A lot to watch out for there. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Have a great weekend. You too. Take care.